bothers Donna shutting down on her. Well, Christmas is getting closer and closer. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have Christmas Eve. I mean, not Christmas Eve. We're going to have Christmas on Sunday here. After Christmas. Huh? Where are we having so Christmas at? Yep. Hi, Linda. Glad you're here with us. Hi, Rita. Linda. Good morning. All right, we have several here. There's Glenda, so we'll go ahead and start. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, <clears throat> as I posted on Facebook, I, I sometimes I say I don't know why I'm doing this, but uh, I used to blame it on God, but I just don't think that Father would wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but again, uh, Saturday morning at about 2.30 or 3 in my sleep, I started preaching all of what I'm going to share with you today. And uh, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty detailed. And I was so into it that I got up and I, I, I took from about 3 to about 8.30. I was done with it Saturday morning. Then I got up and started putting in my light system in here and my podium and started getting ready to teach. And I was getting ready to tell Donna she needed to go get dressed. And I thought, oh, this is Saturday. <laughs> so I was pretty... And I even posted on Facebook that I was going to teach it that day, too. So that happens, I guess. But <clears throat> what I want to share today, again, I want to kind of uh, bounce off what I taught last week and continue with that somewhat. I was teaching on the Christmas stories last week. I taught a lot on the uh, the wise men. And I hope you saw that. If you didn't, hi, Mary, we appreciate you. And I uh, hope you'll go back and listen to last week's because I shared a lot about the wise men and how they came to Jesus probably about the age of three to five years old. Jesus was not, uh, the wise men were not at the manger scene like we see in all these manger scenes we have out in people's yards. And uh, I believe they were the scenes. I believe they were very wise people. And, and I believe, you know, I don't know about those days and time if they allowed women to do a lot. But highly likely there were a lot of women that were seeking spiritual things too with them. So men aren't the only gender that's mystics you know women seek spiritual things too <clears throat> so I listen to father's voice and I hope you'll listen to my voice today and uh, father's voice speaking to your thoughts that'll help your awareness rise up higher and higher and higher uh, one thing I do and most of you have heard me say this but in all my research uh, for writing books and research for teaching I seek to be faithful to that rule of first mention. I don't know who told me about that years ago, 20, 30 years, over 30 years ago. But I've always tried to go by, when you're studying the Bible, you want to go by the rule of first mention. So if you're going to study righteousness, you should go to where the very first place it's mentioned in the Word. And like anointing, I was, I was studying anointing uh, about two or three years ago. And so I went to the very first place it was mentioned, and it was when David was anointed with a horn of oil. And that's when I discovered the word anointing actually means consecrated. <clears throat> so, you know, a lot of times we'll look at a preacher and say, wow, they're anointed, or that choir is really anointed. And what we base that on is how they make us feel, right? 
you get goosebumps, if you would, and makes you want to cry and hold your hands up and do all the things we used to do. But really, what we need is messengers who are consecrated. We need people to begin to write songs that we sing that have seen something, and they're based on what they've seen. And what it is, it's a revelation that Jesus came to teach. The revelation of Jesus Christ was not about Jesus Christ like we used to teach. It's the revelation that Jesus came to teach, right? You know, if you want to hear the revelation of Roy, then you need to read my books. You need to listen to what I teach because that's my revelation. That's my understanding. That's my disclosing. So Jesus, the, the word revelation means disclose. Or So Jesus came to disclose the truth and to unveil what was put over us, which was the great lie of religiousity. <clears throat> so, so with that rule of first mention uh, in what we call the Bible, uh, I, I wanted to understand that. And furthermore, I want to under, wanted to understand who is our fountain source. You know, when you find a river flowing, there's always a source to that river somewhere in there. And they've always called that the fountain source. If there's a, if there's a fountain of living water, then wh who is the fountain source? Where does living water come from? And <clears throat> the fountain source of all life and all that exists visibly and not visibly, we want to know what that is. And of course, we would call it God. The majority of people who go by the name Christian or, or Catholic and all the other you know, uh, different groups of people from there, they use the word God all the time. And I've never liked the word God. When I began to study, I just didn't like it because to me, a God is somebody that's so far above me and a God is somebody that can punish me, right? You know, we, they have all kinds of movies about kind of, all kinds of gods and stuff. So a long time ago, I quit calling our father God and I call our father, father. And to me, father and papa is a very uh, intimate thing. But I'm going to show you later on where there's another meaning to me that's even more important to all of us. So what is God or who is God? That's a really big question, is it not? It's very hard to explain people to who God is. You know, even, that when, even when we say God is spirit, it's very hard for people sometimes. That's why I like breath. But even when I tell people that God is breath, you know, if, if you're not intimate, don't have an intimate knowledge in a relationship, you may not even understand that. But breath is life, isn't it? If you don't have breath in you, you don't have life in you. So, <clears throat> there are, no, I'm all right. I'll clear up in a minute. <clears throat> but there are many races. Uh, there are many people on this earth. There are many religions uh, on this planet earth that have a individual <clears throat> Yes, get me some hot water. I'm sorry. <clears throat> and they have varying perceptions of who God is. If you go down this street that I live on <clears throat> and you knock on the door and you say, I'm, I'm taking a survey. Can you tell me who God is? Everyone is going to tell you something different. And most of them, I would bet, would say, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it to you. <clears throat> He's in heaven somewhere, right? And we want to put a gender to God. Correct? <clears throat> so you have all these perceptions. And as I said a minute ago, for me, my relationship with father is father, and my relationship father with father is papa. Uh, my grandchildren call me papa, and uh, you've heard me say it before. I think that's a very intimate thing. I love hearing. Uh, we, we pick up Ethan, our youngest grandchild, five days a week after he gets out of school, and we have him for an hour. 
and he jumps in the car and he says, hi, Papa, and it makes me feel so warm. And <clears throat> the only one that anybody that has a right to call me Papa is a person that has that kind of relationship with me, right? So I think that's why a lot of people don't use the word Father. They just say God because they don't have that understanding of oneness. And that came from religion. The Jews did not allow people to call him father really they 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 hated jesus for saying that god is my father or that i'm a son of god and that's why they said we have a law he must die he declares himself to be a son of god so they hindered that relationship but i find that father's ever present friend to me uh, i find that i can i i i don't have to prepare myself to have a conversation with father because father's ever with me all the time so when you go to the rule of first mention for the word God, you would go to Genesis 1, correct? Is that going to burn me? <laughs> Let me get a little hot water in me. Yeah, that helps. <clears throat> so the rule of first mention, you'd go to Genesis 1.1, and Genesis 1.1 was written from Moses, by Moses. And so uh, according to history, Moses wrote the, the Pentateuch, and that would be the first five books of the Bible. And Moses wrote it from his perception. If you think that Moses completely understood who Father was, you're wrong. He did not, because he was really uh, influenced by all those false gods that he was raised with in Egypt. And so he put that on God a lot. That's why Paul in the book of Romans would write that they made god like their gods they made god like animals they even made god like themselves so however they saw themselves that's how they saw god and so in the king james version of genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and the phrase in the beginning there came from one single word which was it's pronounced resheth r-e-s-h-i-y-t-h resheth and it means the first in place or time or order and rank. So in the beginning, it means the first in rank, the, the uh, first in time, the first order. And then Mr. Strong's wrote first fruit. So literally the phrase in, in the beginning is God, right? It would be father. So it actually says God in God created out of God, in other words, everything that God was, everything that Father was, that's where creation came from. So I like how the first part of the word Resheth is pronounced. It's Re, R-E, with a hyphen after it. Uh, I mean, a not a hyphen. But in my small understanding, you would pronounce it Re as an array of light. And is not Father light? Is not Father the Father of lights? Right? That's what Scripture says. So... Right there's a real picture that we are as our father because we are light also. So from the study of the sciences, we know that light then is energy. These light bulbs, this light I have shining on me, that's got a lot of energy in it. It's very, very bright light. And so light is energy. We also know according to John's teachings in his first book, he said God is light. So John wrote the following from his understanding perspective, which I do believe came from his experience with Jesus. I believe Jesus taught John after Jesus uh, resurrected himself. I believe Jesus explained uh, what John wrote in the book of Revelation. I believe Jesus came back and he talked to some of the disciples and he helped them because their understanding and knowledge got greater and greater and greater. 
So in the King James Version, and, and I translate some of it in here, so I'm going to read it to you. 1 John 1, 1 through 5. <clears throat> it says, that was, uh, this is John speaking, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. So in other words, from the beginning. So who was Jesus from? From Father, right? So that which was from Father, or he who was from Father, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested. Who was it? Jesus. They saw the life in Jesus. The reason they didn't see their lives in themselves because they weren't staying in contact with Father. They were more carnally mindful, living as, as carnal when they were not. So we handled them, and he was the word of life, and he was manifested, and we have seen it. In other words, we've seen the light in him. We bear witness and we show unto you that eternal life which was pertaining to and in contact with Father. In other words, because he stayed in contact with Father, then it said it was rendered apparent to us. And so I like that a lot because I believe when we walk in this world, if we keep ourselves in constant contact with Father and we are aware that we are the presence of Father, then it will render apparent to other people. And that's why many times people are attracted to you and they don't even know who you are, naturally. They just, there's something about you where they're sensing Father. Then he said, He, he and that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus whom stayed in contact with Father. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness whatsoever. And that's what they heard from Jesus. And they knew who Father was. I won't say they had the most intimate relationship as Jesus did, but they knew who Father was. They didn't experience it, but they knew it. They knew it, right. So accordingly from what John wrote, we know Father is light. We know that Father is energy. We could say life source. We could say life essence. We could say inner self, which is the meaning of chi. That's what the people over in the Middle East and the ancients used the word chi, and I like that. It carries the same meanings that I referenced there. So we know Father is light, or in this instance where people call it, say God, God is light, who is energy, and both being our life source, our essence, our inner self, and our soul, and why would he use the word so? You know, uh, the, why, why do we talk about we are a soul? We used to say we are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And we saw ourselves as three different things. And we would say our, our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we would say our mind and our will and emotions need to be saved. All my old writings have that in there. And that's why it's very difficult to update those books because it's just full of that. But that's not true. We are a life Give, we are a soul. We are a life-giving breath. That's what the word spirit means. So we are life. So we are a soul that gives life out of our breath. What kind of life? Understanding and knowledge. And yes, we can breathe strength over people. Jesus breathed on people all the time. And so uh, scripture states that we are made a living soul. And a soul is the Old Testament number 53216. I think I have an extra number there. I think I have an extra number because it was only supposed to be four, but I'll correct it. But it's it's the wrong number. It's nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H, and it's pronounced nephesh, F-E-S-H, in which it means a breathing creature, and it means vitality. 
Now, so we are breathing creatures. We are men, no gender there, and we have vitality in us. So Nepesh comes from Napash, which is Nafash, F-A-S-H, and it means to breathe, and it also means to be breathed upon. So when will we breathe upon? Man in the beginning, when God formed man out of the dust of the earth, God breathed upon them and made them a living soul. When we were uh, impregnated in our mother's womb, when that sperm hit the egg, there was an explosion of light, if you want to call it breath, because it's energy. And literally, we were breathed on by the very breath of God. And, our, and our, that little bitty egg in there was made a living soul, and it formed into who we are today. Our soul, <clears throat> our soul walks the earth. Our spirit lives in eternity. In eternity. Right. But maybe our soul is just us, our physical. Well, our, our, actually, our soul is our whole, our whole being. Body, yeah. yeah, our body, our whole being. So... We possess light, right? We, we are the carriers of light. We are the living soul. We possess light. We possess energy. So the fact that we are also light is discovered in the fact that Jesus refer, was referred to as light. Now, in John, the way they translated the King James Version, they said Jesus is the true light. So there again, we have scripture that was translated to make you think that Jesus is the only Son of God and that Jesus is the true light. And we were always needing to get to Jesus for something. And that's why so many people pray to Jesus today. Because he was the first light. He was the one, he, all people were light, but he manifested the light. Was in touch with Father. Right. So he was the one in that world that manifested the light because the others were not. And so the correct order of those words, I looked it up yesterday. It says, Jesus shined light on the truthful word that a look that illuminate us, illuminated or shines on every man, woman, boy, and girl in this physical word, world. So it's the, it's the light of the truthful word that shines upon all of us. And Jesus was the one that did, it, that did that at that time. So in 1 John 2, 8, John wrote, what was true in Jesus is true where? In us. The same thing. Because the lack of understanding has passed and now the true light now shines. And that it said the darkness, darkness is gone. Well, darkness is always symbolical of understanding, no understanding whatsoever. So that's in all people. But both verses use the word true and, or truth, and that means the truthful word, or also it means the, the not concealed word. When Jesus said the truth will make you free, he was saying the not concealed word. In other words, the word that's not concealed by religious teachings, by mistranslations, by false perceptions of the Father. Nothing that the Mosaic Law taught revealed who Father really is. Nothing whatsoever. And although there are some names that they use that I'll go over in a little while, but it was still in a sense that we, we needed to get God to do those things for us. And that's that part of duality, that God's up here and I'm down here, right? And if, we, if you can take a, a group of people and get them to believe that God's out there somewhere and we're not intimate with, God, with Father, we don't have a, a personal relationship with Father, then that enforces duality and you will always be able to control those people. Always giving them rules and things, how they can approach God. You have to bow down before God. You have to do all this stuff and... That, that's where that false teaching came from. So we further see in Genesis chapter 1 that 
that the fountainhead source, it says, uh, Father created them. Father is a creator. But Father doesn't create anything now. Father created from the beginning. Father uh, imaged in his mind, his divine mind, everything that he ever wanted to come into visibility and then projected that out. And then now mankind is a result of that. And I'll explain to you how man creates, but thought that man does not create anything that's not already created, right? We know people make things and do all kinds of stuff, but, but the ability was always there. It's just they came to the point that they became more aware. And I like to use the word discover. You know, I discovered things. I didn't make things. We discovered, you know, we had a lot of discoverers in the past, but they're not the ones that made those. They were already there. You know, that would be some people's idea of, of that would be they go to the Grand Canyon. Well, it was already there. You didn't make the Grand Canyon, you know, and you, you didn't make gold. You didn't you make it. You just discovered it. So that's why I say when I study truth, I really can't put a patent on something. I can't put a copyright on what I teach because it was already there. I can copyright my books, you know, in the format they're in and the cover and all that. So other people don't go sell my books. But the content was already there and much more. So Father created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't say heavens and earth. It says the heaven and earth because heaven is a, a understanding. Earth is a a plane of understanding. So in the Hebrew word, uh, uh, they translated created comes from B-A-R-A, bara, and it does mean to create, but it also means to cut down or to bring down. So what does that mean? Well, cut down and bring down. It literally means to, to cause or to, would be to, to project out of our imager. That's not a proper word, but my imagination is an imager. It images something, right? So Father brought down from that which was not visible and brought it down to visibility. To me, cutting down would be spirit slowed down the visibility. It's bringing it down to where you can see it. It's like a tree. Sometimes people cut down a tree because they see inside of that that when they get it all carved out and everything, it's going to be an eagle or it's going to be a, a bear or whatever. So that's they, they, they put that in their imagination and then they bring it down. They bring the tree down and they form it into what they want it to be. That's just my shallow way of explaining that. If Kay's on here, uh, Kay, you're more than welcome to explain that to you, uh, too, because I know you've taught on that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so we could also say that which is true spiritually appears to the realm of visibility because light has shined on it. Light has to shine on something for you to see it, correct? Without light, nothing can be seen. When Don and I sleep at night, we like there to be no light in the room, you know, because if it's, we, we know, and they talk about it, if you sleep in a room with a lot of light on, you don't sleep well. If you sleep in a room with a television going, a lot of people do that. It's not good for you. Even though your eyes are shut, you're still seeing those light patterns. So when I wake up during the night uh, to go to the restroom, I have to feel my way around the room uh, till I get there. I'm going to fall because there's nothing there to light my way, light my path. So, uh, was not Jesus living as the one who shined light to show the way? He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the light. Now, he wasn't saying, I'm the only way for you. He said, I am the way, and says, I'm here to show you the way. I'm the guide, if you would. You know, uh, Norm, if you and I, Donna, were going to go walk, take a, a journey through a force somewhere, 
and we had a guide, we wouldn't want the guide to be behind us, would we? You know, we, he said, I'm the guide. The guide means I'm going to show you the way. I don't worship the guide. I just go the way that he took me to go. So, <clears throat> let me get to where I'm at. So, the same is true of what we see without true light, then we cannot see clearly. And that's why we've studied the Bible, most of us, for a lifetime. And we did not have the light. We had it, but we wasn't using the light. We were using a perception, or we were used what we were taught about it. Therefore, we really never saw the true light. We never saw the true light. So, uh, I think about my eyes. I have really, really good eyes now. But I was taking some medicine that the doctors gave me, prednisone, and it caused me to have cataracts in a three-month time. And so, when they took the cataracts off, they gave me a choice of some lens that Medicare would pay for, which doesn't correct hardly anything. If you have stigmatism, you still have it. If you have need, uh, need to have uh, bifocals, or you still have to have them. But I chose the Symphony lens. They cost a lot of money. But the reason I chose it is because it would give me perfect eyesight, even better than perfect eyesight. It automatically focuses on what I look at. I don't know how that does that, but it does it. And I can read six to seven to eight font. But to read that font, what do I have to have? I had to have some light. You know, before that, it didn't even matter if I put light on there. I still couldn't read it. But my vision has been, what? Corrected. And that's why I keep saying over and over and over, we need our vision corrected. The Bible says, and I can't tell you the address, but it says, without a vision, my people perish. And the word perish means they cease to live the way they're supposed to be. And it's not that I have a vision that I'm going to have a giant church and all this. It's not about a ministry vision. It's about my vision being the same vision as Father's vision. To see people the way Father sees people. Holy and righteous and pure and altogether lovely. <clears throat> so, because we're the light, we're the light to the world. We're not just the light for ourselves, but we're the light to the world. And this current world is filled with a lot of darkness and a lot of understanding. Uh, my daughter sent me a, uh, a video. Yeah, here's Kay. Kay posted this. I can't see it all, but it said, oop, it went away. I, can't, I don't think I can read it now. Yeah, there it was. I need to bring her on with me someday. There it is. Cut down to bring out a visibility to visibility. We are internally and farther from... Okay, so that's what I said. It brings from the invisibility to the visibility. So thank you, Kay, for posting that. But I think the guy's name is Brian Gumble. He was on uh, one of the networks. And last night she sent me... He quit. He finally, after all these years, and he made a pretty good speech, and he was just saying that there's darkness covered all this. The news, the politicians. He actually said it. And I'm, I, I don't want to be part of this anymore, and I'm going to step down. And I just, that just lit up with this, because darkness is no understanding. If you're not walking in the light, then you're going to come up with all kinds of concoctions, all kinds of ways of doing things. You know, the Bible says that man came into this world upright, but then they, but then they produce all kinds of machinations. And that means coming up with their own way of doing things in carnal ways, and it brought much destruction in the earth. So our light is to shine. Now see, Father idealized two universal planes of consciousness, the heaven and the earth. 
You know, and the King James says the heavens and the earth. Well, there are no heavens. There's not a heaven here and a heaven. The he these are talking about awarenesses. One is the realm of pure ideals. The heavens is the realm of the ideas that Father brought forth. We are the heaven of God. We are the abode of God, right? So we are God's idea. This is what God wanted for us, but our awareness has been corrected. The other are thought forms. Thought forms that would K would say would come, I guess, from the left side of the brain. They're more thought, carnal thoughts. They're more things like that. And so we have pure ideals and we have thought forms. Father does not create all that is visible directly, though, because man, mankind is the one that made cement. But Father gave us the idea to do that. Without divine knowledge, we wouldn't have anything we have today. This procedure that they're going to do on my heart, it didn't come just from a man whose breath is in his nostrils. God dropped those ideas into their brain, into their understanding. Just like I told you all about that doctor that Sister Gardner was going blind and he prayed and asked Father for help. And in his dream, he saw him putting three drops of blood, her blood, both eyes, bandaging them up for three days, taking them off and she could see. And so he did it and it happened. Did he create that? Could he say, well, I'm putting a patent on this because this, no, it's something Father dropped into him and then he did it. And that's why we need to be in contact with Father all the time because Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see my Father do. I don't see anything that I don't hear my Father say. So everything Jesus came, came from the fountain, did, came from the fountainhead, which would be Father. And so he creates the ideas which, is, are, which are used by his intelligence, his image, his likeness, in us, and he also did that by bringing things, uh, the whole universe into creation. Everything that we see, everything that we feel, everything we touch, everything we smell, everything we taste, it was all created from Father from the foundation, and then it comes into visibility for us. The more we stay in contact with Father, the more we stay attuned to our divine mind, the more we're going to discover, right? And I believe that's why Knowledge is growing and growing and growing in our generation, and it has for many years. But the thing is, most of what we see today that we think is awesome hasn't been around but for 100 years. Or less. Or less. Because man is finally beginning to wake up. And so, in other words, everything Father idealized has eternally existed, it has already been there. There's nothing that's going to be that is not right now. There's nothing that can happen. You know, we can say, wow, can you imagine what can happen 20 years from now? Well, that can happen right now. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new because it's already here. And then think about this, what the church talks about, how, oh, it's going to be wonderful over there. When we go to heaven, we're going to have streets of gold. And, uh, no, it's, uh, it's now. Kathy, Kathy uh, Sims says it's now. Everything's now. Mm -hmm. Why are we waiting? Because we've been taught it's in the sweet by and by. So it's important to know that heaven and earth are spiritual and seemingly material planes. They're states of awareness primarily. And that we as a race in the midst of our expression, we need to be expressing spiritual awareness. We are a race. We are one race with many members, if you would. So the creative process has been going on for eons. And a great mass of thought force and mind force has evolved. So there is an evolution in us of awakening more 
and more and more. Man's body is the earthly side of the inner heaven or the mental realm of that, if you would. So the isness of our father or the I exist has fluctuated from ages between these two planes back and forth in consciousness, but it, it's getting where it's more and more taken over our whole entire being if we will let it. And that's why I like where it said, let this same mind be in you. We have to let it. We have to want it. It is in me, but I, to me, in me means it's in every part of my awareness. Available. Everything that I think. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, we have to make the withdrawal. So these two planes of consciousness, we could say right brain, left brain, are gradually getting closer and closer together. And then when the two become one, what's going to happen? We, 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 will not, we will not step out of it anymore. The right side is drawing and drawing and drawing the left into it. And when the two are united, uh, completely united, eternal newness of life steps forth. And we already have eternal newness of life, but it steps forth. And in other words, there's a regeneration, there's an explosion that takes place in the being. And we no longer age, in my opinion. We no longer experience any sense of lack whatsoever. The body does what it's supposed to do. The brain does what it's supposed to do. It sends everything to us that needs to sustain this body. And we become wise in what we put in our mouth and what we listen to and what we hear. We put a guard over all of it. And we treat ourselves as the glorified and holy person that we are what happens then is the true life the true light steps forth and that's what happened with jesus when they saw jesus they wanted jesus they wanted to know more about jesus and so now it would be the true light that we are eternally shines so i can tell you what i know of father and others can too but father is so much more than what we know it's very hard to fully articulate who father is but I I believe I do my best and I believe I do it very well we, we try our best but our explanation comes usually usually it's 100% influenced by our perception and influenced by the sources that we hear about God but if you're like me and like many others today we're shutting ourselves off and we're listening to father if I want to know who Norma is I need to ask Norma I can ask Donna who Norma is but I only get her perception. I can ask Melanie, your friend, and I can ask Tammy Wilson, but the only way to really know Norma is for me to spend time with Norma and listen and pay attention. So the Hebrews knew Father by many, many different names. Uh, I published two-volume book uh, just recently, What's in a Name? Uh, Kay originally taught it, and then I taught it, and then I wrote the books, and it explains a lot about the names of God. But even these names are according to how the Hebrew people related to God, according their, to their uh, perception. I don't believe Jesus, uh, God came along and said, I'm Yahweh Rapha. Mm -hmm. I, I may be wrong, but I don't believe God told him that. But uh, Yahweh Rapha is the Lord or healer, but it's actually the health. So they experience healing in one way or another. So that's what they named God, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was a time that they maybe were going to war or whatever, and then Father helped them and became their banner, so they named him Nisi, the Lord our banner. And then there was a time that they needed peace and they experienced peace, so they said, oh, well then God is peace. And, and shalom actually means perfection. So we have shalom. And then we have Raha, the Lord my shepherd. 
And then Sitzka knew the Lord are righteous. This is Shammah, the Lord is present. You know, and it's really interesting. In all these names, they really never understand their oneness with God. Then there's Tezur, T-S-U-R. I'm sure I'm pronouncing these wrong. But they named him Tezur Israel, which means rock of Israel. And then they named him Hashem, the name, which means just the name. And then many, many more. I haven't got there yet. These were these were the, uh, the the traditionally the seven names that they used. These were what they called the, the holy names of God. And then we go to these seven different names here, the divine names. Excuse, I got it backwards. The seven names are what they call the holy names of God, and that's Elohim, and that's El, and that's Adonai, and that's Yahweh, and it's Iya Asha Iya, and it's Shadiah, and it's Sabbat. And there was a rabbi a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Jose. He considered to Sabbat and Elohim to be just a common name. He thought it was too common of a name. But what's interesting about Elohim, when you look it up, it says God's in the ordinary sense. Well, I don't like the word ordinary sense because we're not ordinary, we're supernatural. But that's speaking of us. Most of the time in Scripture, when it's Elohim is used, it's speaking about us. So, <clears throat> so the word God... And that, and, and that statement then would be Elohim, and it would be talking about us, who we are. So there again, each of these names are based on how people related to Father. Uh, today, Western evangelical Christianity, if I have sickness in my body, then I run to Jehovah Rapha, my healer, right? So I know Father that way. But I don't do that anymore. You know, a lot of people say, well, why aren't you asking God to heal you? Well, first of all, God is my health. So I'm by faith believing in health. And I also believe that when I don't 100% know that I know that I know, that Father uses medical science to help me. And so that's why I'm submitting to surgery. If Father told me, no, I am your health, you don't have to do that, then I wouldn't do it. But I have consulted with wise people. I've consulted with Butch Hodge. I've consulted with Kay Fairchild. And they all agree that I should go ahead and have the surgery. But I do believe Father is my health. Not in a sense that he's given me health. But he created me with health inside of me. There is divine health inside of me. I know there is health in me that could cause that heart to be recreative and go back to the thickness. I know it's there. But there's something between it and it manifesting, and that's my total awareness. I still pray, Father, help me in what I don't know to believe yet. I don't know everything in my awareness, but I do know everything in my divine mind. And that's why I'm pressing through. So, I like what Father told Moses. Moses uh, was apprehended by Father to be the deliverer of the, of the children of Israel that were all in slavery in Egypt. And he asked him, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and I tell them that your, the God of your father sent me, they're going to say, What is his name? They want to know that I'm really being called. What is his name? And, and uh, father said to Moses, and of course we know in the King James it says, I am that I am. But it didn't say that. It says, I exist that I exist. And father said, Thou, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I exist has sent me to you. Father gave no other name of himself except for I exist. And I like that. Because to me, exist means you exist. And see, I believe the exist lives inside of me and the exist lives inside of you. I don't like to say God is in me. 
And we all used to say, Jesus is in me, but Jesus isn't in me. The same mind that was in Jesus is in me. The same life that was in Jesus is in me, but Jesus personally is not in me. And, you know, and Christ, when you, a lot of people say Christ in you, well, that's, and they think that means Jesus in you. But Christ means contact with Father. Christ is an, an awareness that's inside of me. The Christ to me is the life. Christ is everything that Jesus taught us and pictured to us. Christ is, I exist right? Christ is my life source. So I am was wrongly translated in the Hebrew. It's H-A-Y-A-H. Haya makes me think of when the, you're playing karate and you go, Haya! Donna used to do that all the time. But it means to exist. I also like the meaning of the root word Haya, which means, means to breathe. It actually says meaning to breathe. That's who Father is. Father is breath. Father exists as breath. Nothing exists physically without breath. Now, we, we know we have trees, but trees have life in them. We have rocks, but guess what? They've proven that rocks have energy in them. There's hardly anything that does not have energy. There's a vibration. This earth vibrates. The very planet itself vibrates with energy because everything came out of Father, right? And Father is light. Father is energy. So we could say of Father, I am the one who breathes. Isn't that good? I am the one who breathes. And I breathe upon you. And he breathed upon us. So how do you relate to me, Roy Richmond? Father knew me from eternity. Father knew me in my mother's womb. David said that. So I believe Father knew me in my mother's womb. I feel I, I know I was reverentially and wonderfully made. That's the word fearfully you know, anytime you read in Scripture where it says we're to fear God, it just means we reverence our Father. So I was reverentially and I was wonderfully made just like you were. And I know sometimes because mankind continues to live out of a false identity, many times our genes get affected, if you would. Uh, I've told most of you about my, my Aunt Hetty Jo that was born as an intersex. She was born with male organs and female organs, and I wrote a book on her. It's on, and I always tell people when you go to my Lulu page and you see the woman within, don't think that's a spiritual book. That's my a life story, my Hetty Joe, Hetty Joe. But I happened to watch a documentary. Uh, my uh, Ginger Lemons told me to read it, and it's about intersexed people that were born with both organs and neither organs function. I watched it, and I watched them tell their story of how they were rejected, how they were treated horrible they were called oh they're one of those kind of people and that stuff on and on and on and it just literally broke my heart because you don't do that to me because i have a heart that a, a gene affected and my heart's too big you don't say oh he's one of those kind of people right but the truth is even though man living out of false identity has allowed stuff to be passed on by embracing religiosity we're still sons of god and we're still daughters of God. And I contacted two people that's involved in that and talked to him about my aunt. But more than anything, I talked to him about the love of God. And it really affected them because they haven't heard the love of God from people, right, for the most part. And so we, we, we need to realize that no matter how we were born, if we were born with a deformity, if we were born with cancer, if we were born with Down syndrome, whatever it is, whatever it is, it does not negate the fact of who we really are. We are sons 
and daughters of the Most High. And that's like why I like to tell the story of Mephibosheth a lot. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And he was the only child, uh, a relative that was left from Saul. When David took over, the, system, the custom was when a new king takes over, they kill all the other king's relatives. So he was wanting to seek somebody out that he could bless. He said, is there anybody left in Saul's uh, generation that I could bless? And somebody said, yes, there's Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And he was given to a nursemaid, which would represent religion, if you would, the church. And she dropped him and his legs were broken and he was crippled. So David sends his man to get him, amen, and that nursemaid's terrified. Jonathan's terrified because they think they're going to be killed. And so he gets them, they get him, and they bring him to David. David prepares a wonderful banquet table, which to me is the revelation of who we are. It's the revelation of the love of God. And he seats him at it, and he covers his uh, crippleness where nobody could see it. And he commands all this, the servants, I forget who all, to bring bread to him all the days of his life. To me, that's one of the most fabulous stories. No matter who you are, you can feed on the bread and wine of who you are, the bread and wine of the Father. And so I, I, just, I just think that's important for us to understand because we don't know who Father is. Anybody that gets up and teaches a vengeful God, they're not speaking for God. An angry God a God with wrath, a God with indignation, a God that's going to get you if you're not doing what's right. They don't know God, and you need to run from them. So back to me. When mother found out that she was pregnant with me, what did she say? I have a baby. I have a baby in me. And then when I was born from her, she said, it's a boy. So I had a title of a boy. And then when I was named Roy Edward Richmond, I became a son, I became a brother, I became a grandchild, a great-grandchild, also a nephew. And as time went on, I had many more names. I became a boyfriend, I, then I became a husband, I became a, a father, then a church member, associate pastor, a pastor, an employee, which was known by number 1004591. <laughs> that was how my uh, corporation knew me. I was known by many numbers. The government knows me by a nine-digit number, my social security number, and my birth date number. I'm known by many of you as pastor, teacher, comforter, messenger, scribe, author, doctor, mister, the right reverend bishop most holy <laughs> that I joke about. But there are all kinds of titles for me. So what's in a name? Do you really know me by all those names? Do any of those names tell you who I am? There's one person on this planet that really knows who I am, and it's that lady right there, Donna. Why? Because she spent 54 years with me. She's seen me in my tough, 53 years, I guess, before we were married even. But she's seen me in my tough times. She's seen me in my up times. She knows who I am. She knows the dirty part about me. She knows the good part about me, but she knows me, and she loves me completely. You know, so... Why do we let people tell us who Father is? You, you don't need to... Donna's not going to come to you and Norma say, who's, who's my husband? Why? Because she stayed in intimate contact with me. And that's why I'm so adamant about Christ. And I know there are other explanations for Christ. But I think contact with Father in you is your hope of glory. I really think it really means that. That's what the second one. Contact contact 
with Father is your hope of glory. In other words, you're going to glorify who you really are so you know who you are. So God, what is God to you? The only reason I'm saying God, because I want you to understand that. What is God to you? It's very important to you to answer that question. And if you're not careful, your interpretation will be from your perception of what you've been taught all of your life. You miss out on the real understanding of Father. That's why I like the movie The Shack. Donna watched it again the other day. And I like how uh, my, 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 I won't say he's my friend, but he's my close associate, Paul Young. I love how he titled God as Papa because Mac needed to know a Papa. He did not need to know a God, right? And so I like the idea that Papa exists in me. We must put our faith in this inner spiritual I exist. And I exist dwells in the entire universe, yes. The I exist inhabits all breathing things. But you individually must know I exist dwells comfortably in you. Whether you were born with the wrong kind of organ, whether you were born with a brain that's kind of feeble, whether you were born with a deformity, whether you were raised in a bad home, whether you did bad things, that's hard for a lot of Christians. You know, we were with somebody the other day and said, I just can't understand how a person that murders people and kills people and you telling me that God loves them and they're going to be in heaven. I can't understand that. You know where that comes from? What that person heard all their life in their religion that they went to. Right. But father exists in everybody. Life and light is in all of you. And, you know, since I'm going to have this open heart surgery on January 20th, I've been doing a lot of studying on the heart. I've been watching a lot of the surgeries, a lot of the experiments that got them to where they're at on YouTube. You can see anything on YouTube today. And I've told this to you before. They can take the tiniest bit of, of the muscle off the heart and lay it in a Petri dish and it'll keep beating. I've seen the video of it. It just sits there and keeps pumping. Why? Because their life in every tiniest part of your being, there's life and there's energy. Your DNA is in everything. Right. We know that your DNA is in your fingernails. They can dig up bodies that have been dead for years and DNA is in there. And I call it divine nature activity. I watched a video yesterday that just blew my mind yesterday morning when I was studying this and did some more research. Heart transplants. I didn't know this, but when they take the heart out of the, uh, of the donor's body, they put the heart in, a, in a, a sterilized container and it's beating. It's still beating. And then they connect it to a blood source and a setner and it's just beating. And I watched it and it was just, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. The brain's not connected to it, right? The, 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 what I would think would be given its electricity is not connected to it. The heart is just sitting there and beating. And what, what, why, why would, what would that be? It's Father. Father is in every part of our being. You can't go anywhere Father's not at, right? David said, if I, if I make my bed in the deepest, lowest parts of the carnal living, you're there. They called it hell. If I ascend out in the atmosphere or in the universe, you're there. No matter where I go, you're there. Where, where is he? Is he just beside me? No, Father is present in me in every part of my being. So, Who is God? Father's breath. Who is God? God exists in you. 
Father is life. Father is our fountainhead. Father is relational. In my studying, uh, uh, taking my master's degree course in theology, some of the professors said that Father is not relational. Father is not personal. Father is too big to be personal. Well, then what good is he? That gives us a God out on the throne somewhere that we have to bow our head down to and, and crawl to and just hope he would do something for us. That To me, that's crazy. We can know our Father for who Father really is, not what we've been told about Father, but we can know Father for who he is. I also like this. They, they use words called om, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And the word omni, anybody ever look up what the word omni means? It means all, that's right. So with these words, we know Father is all present. He's everywhere at once. Father's in me, Father's in you. There are billions of people on this planet. Father is in those people. Father is so big, that's why it's so hard to explain who Father is. But literally, Father is so big, but also so intimate and so loving that 100% of Father's in you. And 100% of Father is in you. And he's all powerful, right? So is there any other power when it says all power? Is there any other power? Father is more powerful than this gene that was mutated probably and told my heart to be too thick. Father is more powerful than that. Father is more powerful than any uh, perception of lack that you might have. Father is more powerful than any perceived enemy that came against you. And Father's more powerful than anything that your religion said about him that's not true. All you have to do is be still, be quiet, be calm, and listen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just try him. And there are so many people, Norma's talked to me about some of her friends, and I, that they're so indoctrinated that they don't want him here, but they're miserable. They don't want to conceive that that, that could be true. It's too easy. But they're miserable. They're afraid that God doesn't love them. That doesn't, they're not sure if they die, they'll be with the Lord because they, they agreed with what religiousity said about them, that they're sinners. And all those thoughts that you think all the time, they separate you from the love of God. And yet Paul, in their Bibles, and it's translated, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Well, yeah, he loves me, but... That's what people have heard. Yeah, I did this, so whatever. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength and very present. Where's God? He's present. He's right here. He's not in my chair. He's not over there. He's in me. That's, that's intimate. Donna and I, and I know Donna don't like me to talk about it, but when I got married to her and got to be in, that was awesome. It was nice to kiss. It was nice to hold hands. But when we, the two became one, it was, it's, it's, to me, it's the most intimate understanding of the oneness with Father. It's ecstatic. It's, there's all kinds of words. It's bliss. It's wonderful. And we can walk like that all the time in this bliss of knowing that we are one with Father and Father is one with us. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen reveals the Father inhabits eternity. In His way, it actually says His name, but name means way. So His way is holy. You'll never know the way that God's going to treat you. Oh yeah, he's going to treat me holy because he reverentially and wonderfully made me. 
He knew me in my mother's womb. He knew me at the foundation of the world. I was in him before I ever came down to visibility. Things that happened to us that we say God did allowed that to happen, it's from our own it's consequences from our own decisions and thoughts. Yeah. Our carnal yeah. decisions. It's always consequences. Right. It wasn't that God let it happen. You know, no. It's self created. That's right. So if Father inhabits her, uh, eternity, then Father is ever-present, everywhere present, no matter where you make your bed, where you go, Father is always present, always there. So why do we fear? Now, real quick, a little bit about the Christmas story and the characters. Father is first and foremost in every story. Would you agree? Like the, the parable of the... Uh, the, the prodigal. The story was about father, not the son. Mm-hmm. Right? So, father is the one who loved the world. You know, we have a scripture that says, for God so loved the world. That's the, that's the main part of the story is father. Father is the one that loved the world that he gave. So, when, if we go to rule of first mention, well, are we talking about that he gave his son or that he gave? Father is a giver. Father gave man life. God so loved. God so wanted a, 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 a family that he gave. And he, he produced a living soul and he gave man him. Himself. That's what a marriage is, is we, we gave ourselves to each other, didn't we, Donna? And we, we said, we'll never leave you. We'll never forsake you. I, I, this is till death do us part. And we honored that part of our vow. And that's what Father says the same. And, and Father, when Father says something, Father honors it. Father never left us, never forsook us, never turned his back on us whatsoever. So what did Father give us? All things that pertain to spiritual life, all things that pertain to physical life, and nothing left out. There's not a thing that's required for our life that is not here now. Then we find in John three sixteen saying, God so loved the world that he gave his son, a son, because that's what it is, who was the only one at that time we stayed in contact with Father. So we know Jesus also loved the world that he gave himself to the Jews to let them kill him. Right? That took a lot of love. You know, if, if you're going to be executed and I love you, Norma, and I don't want you to die... I love you so much that I go to the judge and say, Judge, please let me die for her. So God so loved the world that he allowed his son to come. He allowed and he 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 brought his son into the world that he knew would not lose contact with him. And Jesus walked among men because he was a man and he shined the light of truth to them. And he never lost contact with Father. And he gave himself because he realized the Jews hated him so much that he knew he was going to go there and he knew they were going to murder him. And it was not Father doing that. They said, we have a law. He must die. He declares himself to be son of God. And they hated him. And leaders hate anybody that teaches the truth. I've had a person wish I was stoned to death. Uh, Kay Fairchild, I'm sure she's had people that We'd like to get rid of her. You know, fortunately, we don't live in a world where religion can do that to us anymore. But they do it with their mouths. So we have Father as the main character. 
Then we had the messenger Gabriel, which I've talked about before in the last chapter of the book and what I've taught. And then we have Mary. And I've explained to you that Mary was not necessarily a virgin. There's no such word as virgin anywhere in the Bible. In Isaiah, it was not a prophecy about Jesus being born. It was, a, it was an encouraging word from a king to let the people know that there's a baby, there's a woman present. She's a damsel. She's pregnant already. She, and she's going to give birth to a child, and his name's going to be God is with us, or for us. Excuse me. God is for us, Emmanuel. And uh, God is for us. And before that baby, we'll be able to eat and know good from evil or whatever. We will, we will have won the battle. That's all that was. And so Mary did not have to be a virgin, right? Because we were not, in God's eyes, horrible, wicked people, and Jesus could not come through man. God created man. And God made us perfect. God made us holy. And so we talked about that a lot, and I've done that in several different things. And Joseph, Joseph had impregnated his wife. And when the Gabriel told him that she was going to be a, he was going to be a special person, that he needed to be kept apart from religiosity, keep him away from the Jews, keep him away from world, worldly religions, let his mama teach him because she had been taught by the scenes. And then when he gets older, take him to the scenes or the scenes came to him. He would be a little bit afraid. I don't know if I'm worthy to be that daddy, right? And he told him, don't worry, it'll be okay. And then also in the last chapter, we talked about the wise men, and I've already talked about that a little bit. So there were some other characters in the Christmas story, and they were shepherds. And I really felt impressed to talk about this, and I was talking about shepherds in my dream Saturday morning. The title shepherds symbolizes the word protective and protection. Would you think about that? You know, there's a lot of ministries in the past wanted shepherding ministers, and they wanted, to be, they wanted to be your shepherd. They also called them fathers, spiritual fathers. But sadly, what those people did is they wanted to control you, tell you what you can do, and things like that. And I question if they really loved the people that much. I question whether they were just trying to build a, a large fellowship of people that they can control and keep them in the church. Also, shepherds are conservers, and they're protectors of the herd or we could say protectors of the congregation. Every pastor, every Sunday school teacher, every leader in a system that we would call church needs to be true shepherds. True shepherds, and we'll see what that is. So what they do to affirm that Father is our great shepherd is to acknowledge that Father, holy breath, is the source of all understanding. Sheep are considered to be, I've heard it before, dumb creatures. I don't think that's really true of them, <laughs> but that's what's been spoken over them. But these shepherds were watching their flocks at night. What does night represent to you? Darkness. And what does darkness represent? No understanding, right? So in a sense, a true shepherd and a over people, they, they need to be watching over them while they're in their darkness, right? and help bring him up higher and higher and higher. That's why I always said, I wish in these, what we call outer court, holy place denominations. Some of them are in the outer court where they're just happy been saved and, you know, and they're, they're sacrificing to God, always trying to please God, not much knowledge. And then we have holy place where you have a lot of charismatic things going on and where people think that getting filled with the Holy Spirit is what they're supposed to do. 
and they're just spending all the time like that. And then you have the most holy place where you have ministry that brings people to real truth. I wish all the shepherds and all three of those knew spiritual truth. And they knew their job was to graduate them on up to come to the highest level understanding. Because in school, it's that way, isn't it? Real school. Kindergarten teachers know that they don't want to keep their kids kindergartners. Grade school teachers, they don't want to keep them in first, first to fifth to sixth, kindergarten to sixth grade. They want them to graduate and go on to high school. And then good teachers there, they want to bring them on up to college, right? But why isn't that true in the church? Because all we did is kept them in that same level of understanding all their life and kept them like dumb sheep, right? So they watched their flocks and the flocks lacked spiritual understanding. At the time of Jesus' birth, these shepherds symbolized protective comforter messengers or father that kept watch over the soul while it's in a sleep state. And these messengers and they were used as shepherds, they came to see Jesus. They realized the master comforter teacher had been born. How did they realize that? Because a messenger came to them and told them that. And they need to go. And they need to be prepared and be ready for him when he begins to teach. And so the soul of man stays in a sleep state until they're awakened to spiritual understanding. Now, many countries where sheep are cared for, the shepherds, uh, particularly over in the Middle East, the shepherds loved their sheep. And that's important. There are a lot of people that raise sheep that don't necessarily love them. They're just raising them for their wool, right? Raising them for what they can get out of them. <laughs> you know, so that that could be true in a lot of churches where the pastor really doesn't love them. They're just, they gather them together where they can get out of them. They can get a big congregation. They can get a big following. They can get their tithe from them. They can get them to work and bring more people in. And I'm not saying all people are that way, but I'm just saying this to me is a real symbolism of this. And so they love them. If they love them, they sh these, they, they've proven that these sheep that are loved show a remarkable intelligence. Love conquers a lot, doesn't it? So literally these, these sheep become much more intelligent than the, the ones that are raised by shepherds that don't love them at all. So I would say if we're going to sit at the feet of a pastor who wants to shepherd us, we better make sure they love us without a cause. Like Brother Garner says, you need to see what's in their hand. If they don't love them, they produce fear in the Right. Sheep. Fear. Yeah. So scripture doesn't record that shepherds brought their sheep to Jesus. There's no place, I look, there's no place in the Bible where the shepherds brought them to him. Of course, we see them in the manger scenes and stuff. But I happen to believe that they did because they loved them. And I believe that they brought them with them. They would not leave them unattended. Right? They wouldn't. So what I see in this, if you're a pastor or if you're a shepherd of a group of people, your job is to bring them to good pastors of the living word. And if you don't know it, have some men that will do it with you and help you. I cannot tell you the numbers of times that pastors have said, I can't bring you in because my people can't hear you. Well, first of all, they're not your people. And how do you know they can't hear you? Sure, it may not be, a few may not be able to, but some will. And that some that will, will change their world. You know, so it's your job to bring them to the pastors of, of living water and make sure they experience 
maybe what you've experienced because some pastors have experienced truth but they won't they won't tell their congregation for fear that they'll lose them but you want to grow them up in the pastures of the living word shepherds are to guard shepherds are to guide shepherds are to raise one's individual awareness to the greater spiritual truth that's what they're for and of course there were many messengers of the lord in this story messengers told the shepherds about jesus birth uh, they experienced they said they experienced a host of messengers you know, we think they were angels that flew down. How do we know a bunch of Essenes didn't come and begin to speak to them? And then they begin to sing a song, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and perfection, goodwill towards all men. Once the messengers left the shepherd's sight, what did they do? They said to one another, let's go see this thing. And that really struck me last night. Are you a messenger? Are you a messenger with a message that could cause people to say one to another, Let's go see this thing. Let's go understand this thing. Literally, if you have a messenger teaching you, a comforter messenger, that should be so much received that you become the messenger that can cause people to say, let's rise up higher in our awareness. To me, that's what it means. Let's go see. Let's rise up higher. So these shepherds were very much aware that it was Father speaking through these messengers that caused them to know they needed to see Jesus who was born to their generation to shine that great light to all who would come and see from generation to generation. Same is true of us. I was born in this generation. Sometimes I feel like, Paul, I was born out of season because it feels like there's just not a lot of people want to hear it. But the truth is they are. They're just not necessarily in mainstream churches, maybe not even in my city, but you know what? There's highly likely other shepherds in the city that are reaching a lot of people that I just don't know yet. But yet I believe I'm the type of shepherd where people are saying, let's see this. And I see this on Facebook all the time. I see it in letters that are sent to me and they bring great, great help to me. But numerous times in the New Outlook books, which are called Testament, but they're New Outlook books, we discover phrases like come and see. Uh, in Psalms 34, we find verse 8 saying, Oh, taste and see that Father is good. Then it says, Happy and well off is the man that trusts him. Trust to me means have faith in his faith. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm getting ready to, in about 30 days or something like that, I'm going to lay down on an operating, operating table, and there's going to be about five doctors and all kinds of technicians. The room's gonna be filled with all kinds of people and I'm gonna trust them to cut my chest open. And it, it's even more detailed than, than a, a heart replacement, this, this procedure, because they're literally gonna lift my heart up, go into it with a scalpel and flay the inside. That's a lot of trust. But you're, you're putting that, all of your trust in them. Huh? I'm putting my trust. No, I'm putting my trust in what Father has given them. That's what I'm saying. I'm putting my trust not in them. They're the hands, and they're the instrument. Right. Of what He's given us. That's right. That's what I'm saying. So I'm trusting the the knowledge that Father has given them to function in them, and I'm praying over them that they will function out of the supernatural beings that they are. Absolutely. And but people say they can't trust God. Because they wanted God to do something that didn't happen. So what do we need to do? We need to be messengers that can say, cause people to say, I, I want to see this. I, want, I can listen to this. I can understand this. 
In the Revelation, we read in chapter 22, verse 17, and the breath and the bride say, come. Now, I know it says in the spirit and the bride, but it's the breath, the breath and the, the breath, the holy breath that comes out of us should be saying, come all the time. And let him that heareth say, come. So when I say, come, you should be hearing what I'm saying, and then you hear it, and then you hear it, and it's good inside of you, and then you go say, come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him or her take the water of life freely. The wise men were told by the star messenger, if you would, it said there was a star. I believe it was a star messenger. I'm not saying there wasn't a star out there, but I believe a star messenger told them where to go. The shepherds were beckoned by messengers to come and see. If you're not saying come and see or taste and see to the people of the world, then you may not have heard the truthful word. Because in the revelation, it said, and let him that heareth say come. So if we're not saying come, we're not hearing. Come where? Come and see. Come. It could be come and listen to a messenger, or it could be saying come to this awareness, or it could be saying come to a greater awareness of Father. If we, if we could just come, if we could just teach them more about who Father is, if they're not so seared by their religious belief system, they'll come. Who wouldn't want to come to the message of love without a cause? <clears throat> Peter preached it. He was scared to death. He had rejected Jesus. He denied him three times. And when Jesus came to him and said, he just kept saying, Peter, you love me. Peter, you love me. Peter, you love me. Go feed my sheep. He didn't condemn him. And he experienced the love of God so strong that on that day that he preached, he preached about he preached the foreign language, which was the language of love, and they had never heard about the love of God. Three thousand people joined that community of believers right then. I've never seen a message where that would happen. I've heard a message where they were scared to, scared to death and they got saved. Jonathan Edwards, when he preached sinners in the hands of angry God, but did it bring any permanence in their life? No, they got saved and they went right back to what they were doing. You know, in the sense that they thought saved was. So I tell everyone I know about what I've seen. It's very hard not to, but I do. I can't help it. When I see something in the Word, I want to tell people. I want to tell all my doctors everything that I know. I tell them things, you know. The living Word of Truth is valuable. It's vital. It's beautiful. And there are many who continue to thirst, and we've got to find those people. Why would they be thirsty? It's because they become they have shepherds who continue to symbolize clouds without rain. Clouds are people. Rain means teaching. Clouds without rain, they look beautiful, but they really don't bring a lot of benefit. Maybe a little bit of shade, but we need clouds with rain. They're nice and they're pretty, but they, they, they lack this great teaching that will cause people to come. So in closing, Jesus said, Happy and well off are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. you got to figure out what are you hungry for. If you're hungry to be healed, if you're hungry for Jesus to come back and fix everything. People are hungry for all kinds of stuff. But Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, what is righteousness? It's, what is it? Knowledge. It's, well, righteousness is knowledge, but it's, 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 it's understanding that you're right wise with God. That would be knowledge. That you're right wise with God and that you were righteous from the foundation of the world. In the true translation, Jesus said, all are saints, and saints means holy. 
all people, all means all. I've looked it up in the Greek. It always means all. All people are holy, but few choose to live that life. The reason why is that they're hungry for everything in the world and they've identified with being just a sinner saved by grace. So do you want to be a feeder? I want to be a feeder. We went to a bird seed uh, store the other day and uh, they had a video up there of a, of a whole bunch of feeders out at a pond somewhere. And I told them, I said, where do you buy that video? And she said, that's a live feed. And so I, I got it on YouTube, but if you leave it on all day long, it's going to eat up all your Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. But these birds were coming and I just thought, what a blessing to be a feeder. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even taught this yet. And, but I thought, what a blessing to be a feeder where all the birds of the wild come and feed off of you. That's what I want to be. I want to be a feeder and I want to have good food. And I do. The feeder messenger never lives in a state of hunger and thirst. Did you know that? I'm not hungry for God to come to do something for him anymore. I don't ask Jesus to do anything for me. The only thing I thirst for and hunger for is greater understanding. I hunger and thirst for people to come and feed on what I have and come on feed on what other messengers have. That's what my desire is. So I hope this blesses you. I don't think I'll be teaching anymore on, on Christmas stuff unless I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning again. <laughs> but uh, it, this has satisfied me and it's got off what's in my heart. It, I, I've got it in paper and I've got it out here. And I just hope every one of you are blessed by that. And, uh, I, you know, I guess Mark or somebody talked about righteous judgment. Righteous judgment means I judge you righteous. Who would you rather stand before and you've done something wrong? A judge that's going to judge you by the seeing the eyes or they're going to judge you by who you really are? And Father says we are to be uh, messengers of righteousness. We're, the, we're a tree of righteousness. Trees are teachers and we're teach the righteousness of God. That's in us. Amen. We can't say, oh, well, that's the way that God is. No, however God is, I am. I exist the same way Father God exists, and the great I exist lives in me. Just on. Oh, I thought she was going to say something. So I hope this blesses you. My wife's got a beautiful smile on her face, so it must have. So thank you for being here. Uh, Kay, thank you for helping me out with some of your explanations on there. And uh, I've, this book, I think, is almost done for Volume 2 on Unveiling Paul's Revelation. So I may do one more teaching, then I'm going to release it pretty soon. And so I'm working on a very special book that you're all going to be excited about. And I hope to get it done before I have surgery. So just believe over me that I can edit it at a supernatural speed. And it'll be something everybody's going to really look forward to. So God bless you. If I don't see you before Christmas, have a Merry Christmas. And keep shedding the light and keep going out and saying, come and see. God bless you. Thank you.